And the number 1-855-821-5900 anytime or Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Got a uh, chock-full hour here of information and stuff you'll need to know if you've just been let go, if you've got a severance offer in front of you, if you're thinking about leaving, or if you're an employer and you're thinking about letting some people go, you don't know the legalese behind it, this next hour is exactly what you need. As always, we'll get into a bunch of topics, but uh, we start every week with Lior with the week that was. How was this week? That's right, John. Thank you very much. And always a pleasure to be here to talk about employment law, workplace rights. I get so many questions, so many emails, calls every single week asking me things. So it's a good uh, opportunity for me to come here and share some of that information with our listeners here so that people can know what their workplace rights actually are. And to get us warmed up, started up here, uh, let's talk about a couple of cases. The week that was two situations that I uh, just recently, very recently came across. Uh, the first one, John, involves a constructive dismissal. Now, whenever we've spoken uh, about constructive dismissal in the past on the show, we always look at it in terms of things that the employer does to the employee. But there are situations where constructive dismissal happens because the employer doesn't do something that mm-hmm. it's supposed to. In this situation, uh, this uh, gentleman had worked for a company in a very senior position for about uh, three years. And it was a term of his uh, employment agreement that he signed uh, when he started that he's going to get a certain specific bonus, a very large, uh, sizable bonus, when uh, milestones are met. Now, finally, after three years, they were able to meet that milestones, and very happily, he uh, contacted his employer and said, okay, now that we've met those milestones, I want to get my bonus. And he started getting the runaround. Uh, The answers were, okay, well, we'll look into that. We'll get back to you next week as to what the numbers are. Uh, The next week, he got another email. Well, we'll look into it. We'll get back to you. He followed up. And we went like this, or he went like this, for some six months. So over a six-month period, he kept getting the runaround. And he got the distinct impression that this employer is trying to avoid or doing everything possible to avoid paying him this bonus because, again, it's a lot of money. And that's when he called me. And he said, well, what do I do here? I've tried to exhaust all the options, he said, uh, in dealing with my employer, and I've lost confidence in them. I don't believe them for a sec that they're going to give me what, what's owed, so what do I do? And what I told him is this. Well, if you're owed those amounts, and based on my review of his situation, he was clearly owed the bonus. Well, the fact that your employer has either refused to, uh, to pay that to you or, or has been completely uncooperative and un- unhelpful that's a constructive dismissal. That's a breach of the terms of employment. The employment terms were, yeah, once we meet these milestones, you're going to get a bonus. They didn't do that. Because of that, they have now breached a significant term of employment. You can treat that as a constructive dismissal. And that is exactly what we're in the process of doing right now to get him not just the bonus that they should have paid him, but also get him his severance. He's going to gladly walk out of there now that he's lost confidence in the employer for him is looking at over six months pay plus that bonus and uh, I I thought that was a very important message and important thing for our listeners to know that sometimes when an employer is supposed to do something and they refuse to do it that could be a constructive dismissal as well Uh, something to keep in mind and of course as always John the rule with a constructive dismissal and I don't want anyone resigning ever before they speak to me. No kidding. You can't just go up and, and resign. Uh, what else happened this week? So the second matter, uh, you know, probably comes uh, up to, on my list of worst severance packages ever. <laughs> uh, we had a, a lady who worked for a very small outfit for 18 years, uh, and she contacted me uh, uh, just over a week ago now. Uh, why? Because she was let go, and after 18 years, her employer generously, as far as the employer was concerned, offered her two weeks' pay. 
That's and it. Employer said we don't have to pay you anything. We're a small company, but because we appreciate the, all the hard work you've done over the last eighteen years, <laughs> we're going to give you two weeks' pay. She was making uh, just under seventy thousand, sixty-five thousand dollars or so. And yeah, I calculated she was older. She was in her sixties and is being entitled to right around twenty to twenty-two months of, of severance. So the the delta, the difference here was you know somewhere in the order of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, maybe a bit more than that. Uh, and that employer thought they were being generous with two weeks' pay, and so that makes Lior's top uh, top ten list probably of worst severance packages ever. That employer, who by the way, John, I don't think was trying to get away with something. I don't think that employer was uh, thinking that they owe more. They probably legitimately believed that that's all they owe her. Right. And now they're going to get a bit of a rude awakening, as I said, finding out that they owe her uh, another hundred and twenty thousand dollars. But but that's an important situation for our listeners to pay attention to, to know about, because just because you're working for a small employer, we've said this before, but it's so important to emphasize, you you still get severance. You get, in fact, you get the exact same amount of severance as if you were working for a huge company. Uh, luckily, she made the call. For her, that one call is worth $120,000, a lot of money by any any measure. See, and, and the, the bad thing about that is that situation, as bizarre and brutal as it sounds, probably happens 15 times every minute, and people just go, oh, two weeks, I guess that's correct, and they walk away. It happens all the time. Not necessarily always to the tune of 120000 maybe to the tune of $30,000 or $50,000, but it happens exactly every single day. That is why we're here. That, and you know, One of the things I'm very proud of, John, uh, you should be proud of, is that over the past three and a half years, we've been able to inform and age, educate uh, thousands and thousands of people, and hoping uh, hope that some of those those issues now are being avoided. Well, we're going to get into the uh, severance pay calculator here in just a minute. So again, a reminder that if if you're faced that situation and you're looking at a week or two weeks, we're going to tell you where not to go as well. We do this every show, but we have to keep reminding people, and uh, we know what that is the Ministry of Labor, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, you can go there. We'll, we'll give you all the right information after the break as to where you can actually go get accurate, fast, uh, easy, and anonymous legal advice. We'll get to a bunch of emails as well. The address is Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. The number anytime, one 821 5900. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. And the number is 1-855-821-5900. Anytime you need to get a hold of Lior, the emails as well. We'll try to get to a few of those today. Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Uh, let's talk about this before we get into, so you've been offered a new job. That'll be the, the header for today. Let's get into the severance pay calculator. Tell me all about it. Yeah, John. And you know, I, I we have new listeners every single time we do the show, so I have to emphasize this. I have to remind people of this. SeverancePayCalculator.com. If you lost your job, you need to know how much you're owed. That, that's the most important thing. You don't have other income coming in. Uh, you, you still have your bills to pay. Unfortunately, the bills don't stop just because you don't have a job. So what do you do then? You need to know if what you've been offered is fair. You can call me. You can call me at the office. You call the show, or you can use the Severance Calculator, SeverancePayCalculator.com. You can, you it takes you about 10 seconds. You just input your age, your position, and the length of your employment, and it's going to tell you exactly how much pay you are owed. Very simple to use, very accurate. Uh, thousands, tens and tens of thousands of people have used it since we've created it. Tell other ones uh, to use it if they've lost their job. 
severancepaycalculator.com. You know, we're almost sitting through uh, the midway point of August and September comes, two things happen. People start losing their jobs or job offers start to go out as well. So we'll have a look at that. Uh, So you've been offered a new job. Uh, I'll run through a bunch of questions. You can answer them. What do you need to do to accept a job offer? Well, you know, gone are the days for the most part that you accept a job offer with a handshake, uh, you know, or or a phone call. Yes, I accept a job. I'll see you Monday. It doesn't happen anymore. And and frankly, employers are getting smarter and and, and that's correct. They shouldn't offer, employers shouldn't offer jobs that way on a handshake. Employers now use employment agreements or contracts of employment. They're the same thing. So in this next segment, when I say contracts of employment or employment agreements, I mean the exact same thing. It's a job offer letter, a document that outlines the terms of employment. And usually, almost always now, to accept that offer, you have to sign that job offer Mm -hmm. letter. You have to sign that document. And it's that document that most people don't understand how important that document actually is. And that's what we want to spend a few minutes on uh, in the next uh, couple of segments, talking about the employment agreement, what you actually need to look for in it, how if you don't pay attention, how it can actually hurt you. And finally, we'll talk a bit about how we can negotiate the best terms possible. So I think uh, if you're out there looking for a job or you've just been offered a job, you really have to pay attention over the next uh, few minutes to what we're going to be talking about. So in your experience in the last you know, almost 20 years of doing this, so what do most people look for in an employment agreement? What's the top two, top three things they always go to? First of all, John, I don't appreciate you aging me that way. Okay, it has not been. Hey, you might have started when you were six. (laughs) That's right. It's it's going on fifteen, so I don't appreciate you bumping me up five years. Thank you very much. Uh, But uh, but to answer your specific question about what what do you look for in an employment agreement? Well, most people actually what they look for uh, is the the basic things. You know, what is my salary? How much vacation do I get? Uh, You know, what is my job title? And people get obviously very concerned and very hung up on those things. You know, is my salary 65? Well, I want it to be 70,000. I'm going to work really hard to try to negotiate that extra $5,000. And what I'm here to tell you, and we're going to talk about some specific examples, is there are things that are, believe me, John, far more important than whether your salary is 65000 or $70,000. And there are things you need to pay attention to as much or more than you do with respect to salary, vacation, job title. And most people don't, don't know that or they, they just assume that they don't matter. So let's, uh, let's educate some people over the next few minutes and tell you some other things to watch out for. Okay, so salary is not maybe the biggest. It's, it, it's a large one. It's going to what you make every year. Sure. What else should you be looking out for? Holidays? Because that's number well, two, right? That's probably what most people are going to look at, holidays. Well, but it's not the most important thing. Well, let's start off with this, first of all, John. For an employee, if I, if I have my employee advisor hat on, you are far better off with a short employment agreement than a long employ- okay. employment agreement. The reason for that is the law provides some very good protections that are available to employees. They're there whether you realize it or not. And they're very good and they're very strong. What the law also says is that you can agree to less than these protections if you want by way of the employment agreement. And that is often what the employment agreement does. It takes away some of the protections that the employee would otherwise have and either eliminates them or it turns around and gives it back to the employer. So when you're faced with a a 10-page document with a lot of legalese, I can promise you, John, that in that 10-page document, there's going to be a lot of things that are not favorable to you, to, to the employee. Whereas if you're looking at a half a page document, well, there's only so much a half page document can say, so that's probably better for you. So if you're looking at a half page document, you're probably doing well. If you're looking at a 10 page document, be very, very concerned. And now what we're going to start doing is let's talk about some of the actual terms 
that the, that the employee should watch out for other than salary benefits and, 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 and bonuses, those types of things. The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Got a couple minutes left here. Uh, okay, go ahead. Which ones do you think are the important ones? So believe it or not, the, the, the first thing you want to watch out for in an employment agreement, once you've been presented with a job offer, is actually language surrounding termination. Right. I know it may sound strange, but the best time, oftentimes the only time to think about termination is to think about it at the beginning of the employment relationship. Why? Because an employer usually now tries to include in the employment agreement a term that may impact your future severance. And what I mean by impact is reduce it. So you may have an employment agreement that states that if at some point down the road we're going to let you go, we're only going to pay you a small fraction of what we would otherwise have to pay you. So you may sign an employment agreement and not knowing that at some point that term could cost you tens of thousands of dollars or more than that, depending on how much you're earning. So if there's a term there that deals with termination, John, usually it's bad news. There's never going to be a term in an employment agreement that tries to give you more entitlements on termination than you would otherwise have. So that's the first thing I look for in an employment agreement. Is there something that limits a person's future severance? Because if there is, you're guaranteed that that's going to cost you a lot of money at some point. We'll continue on that topic and that point in just a moment. Uh, the email is Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Phone calls for Lior anytime, 1-855-821-5900. It's the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. 1-855-821-5900. That's the number anytime to get a hold of Lior and his crew. And the email is Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll try to get to a few emails as the show carries on here. Uh, today we're talking about uh, what you should be looking for in a job offer. You mentioned the uh, the employment agreement and how important the uh, termination part of that agreement is. And I think I think what you're what you're saying is so true because someone fights for a salary from 65 to 70 and they figured, okay, good, I've got my extra $5,000. That's the important part. Yeah, but if you're limited to two weeks severance and you sign that employment agreement, I mean, that's going to really nail what you get down the line, right? Well, let me give you a very simple example that I think will put this into perspective. Let's take a, a scenario where someone is working for, I don't know, two years as a plant manager of 50 years old making uh, 80 grand, okay? So that person has a term that's assumed that limits their entitlements. That means if they're let go after two years, they get two weeks pay. Sure. What happens if they didn't have that term? If they didn't have that term limiting their entitlements, they could easily be owed six months pay. So now that one termination uh, provision in the employment agreement cost that person $40,000, Okay, and that's only after two years of employment. What do you think would happen if that person worked eight years, 10 years, right. 20 years? That $40,000 is not going to be $40,000. It's going to be a lot more. So that, that plant manager that was really working hard to get that extra $5,000 in salary unknowingly gave up tens of thousands <laughs> of dollars on the back end. So that's a problem, and that's what I want people at least to be aware of when they look at an employment agreement are there terms that limit your future severance? If there are, how do they limit it? Is it something you're comfortable with? That also also means you, get, you don't have any job security. If the employer can let you go at any time and pay you almost nothing, well, don't go out and buy that new house and new car and new boat and whatever it is, because if your employment's going to come to an end, you're not going to have any income and you're not going to have any severance to carry you until you find another job. So you have to be very mindful of that. So your termination on the paper is very important. We know now that shorter is better than longer when it comes to the employment agreement. What else is uh, tops on your list? Well, another provision we want to look for is, is there a non-competition obligation? Okay. 
A non-competition obligation is one that says that an employee can't work for a competitor for a period of time. Now, for the most part, John, those are not enforceable. Our courts have said that they don't like terms that limit a person's ability to find a new job. So because of that, most are not enforceable. That said, just because the, the, the court may not enforce it doesn't mean we get to ignore it. And here's why. Uh, if an employer does try to enforce that, what, what are they going to do? They're going to take legal action against the employee and, and have to engage that employee in very expensive legal proceedings. They have the employee spend a lot of money. And that's going to be a very miserable experience. So it's never a good idea to sign a non-competition obligation just because you assume that it's not enforceable. My rule is this. If you sign it, you have to live with it. So if, if you're prepared to live with it, great. If not, then you have to really think about it and negotiate terms. Now, let's take a non-competition obligation, John, and combine it with the termination uh, <laughs> provision we right. talked about before. So the, here's how the, the, those two work together. If you have both of them, that means the employer can let you go at any time, pay you almost nothing. Oh, and by the way, if that happens, you can't work in the industry for two years. <laughs> that's nice. Do you still wow. care if your salary is 65 or 7? Yeah, right. Right? Exactly. So that's why I'm saying you have to pay attention to these things. And uh, if there's something that you don't believe you can live with, something that's going to impact you long term that you're not comfortable with, you can't just sign an employment agreement and say, ah, the heck with it. You have to deal with it and negotiate, understand what you're signing, and, and understand uh, what the impact it's going to have on you. As far as the non-competition is concerned, a couple of questions. A, uh, why do they bother if it's generally not enforceable? And is there times or is there certain uh, jobs where it is generally enforceable? So yeah, let, let's start with the second one first. For senior individuals, people in very senior positions, executives, senior managers, oh. yeah, oftentimes those would be enforceable. Uh, but those are for very, very senior people, the types of employees that if they worked for a competitor, it would really, really hurt their previous employer's uh, business. Those are rare. But in some situations, uh, they, they could be enforceable. But as to your question, why would an employer bother if it's generally not enforceable? Well, oftentimes it's used as a deterrent. Okay, it, it's, you know, you should know that you can't work for a competitor and, and if, uh, if you do, we'll take legal action and that's going to send a message to the other employees that we have. So uh, because of that, oftentimes employers use non-competition obligations uh, and you cannot under any circumstances ignore them because that would contravene the basic rule, of course, which is if you sign it, you have to live with it. It's almost like, you know, they'll put it in there and go fishing and hope you go for it type of thing, right? Well, yeah, and, and you know, in most situations, employees would go for it because they think it's reasonable yep. or they don't really think it's to how that's going to impact them. You know, when, when you start a new job, it's, it's like dating, right? You, you, the, the other person that you just met, she's perfect or he's perfect. You're madly in love and you're going to be together forever. Well, unfortunately, you know, these, these relationships, both, you know, personal relationships and certainly employment relationships, often don't last forever. And the time to think about what happens if the relationship ends is at the beginning of the employment relationship. You don't want to find out that later than now, because you didn't think about the end of the relationship, you've compromised your rights. What else do you find the last minute uh, as we get down to this segment and go to a quick break? What else is uh, top of mind as far as being employ uh, um, important to anyone in that employment agreement? So we talked about termination clauses. We talked about non-competition clauses. Some other things to watch out for is, does the employment agreement allow the employer to change the terms of employment? Does the employment agreement allow the employer to reduce your pay? to change your job description, to relocate you. Generally speaking, an employer does not have a right to do those things. And your employer can't reduce your pay or demote you, etc. 
unless the employment agreement specifically says that they can do that. So a smart employer oftentimes would give themselves the power to make those changes. So the problem for the employee is, you've worked so hard to negotiate this perfect job, well, if the agreement says that the employer can change that job at any time, why did you even bother negotiating? Right. May as well be hired on some job to get paid some salary that the employer decides. So we want to be mindful of whether that employment agreement gives the employer powers that they should not have. We'll wrap up the discussion on the employment agreement. A couple more points to make. In the meantime, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred Email is Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour. It's right here on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. one 855 That is the number you want to keep with you. And the email is Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get to an email after we uh, wrap up the talk of, uh, topic of the employment agreement. A uh, real question is, we talked about all the things that you find or at least your top four or five things on the employment agreement that are important and you should look at. When push comes to shove, can you really negotiate that agreement though? Well, yeah, you can. But most people, their first instinct may be, no, you cannot. Why? Because they'll think, well, I want the job. The employer has the job. So what, what leverage do I have? You know, I have to accept their job or they'll take it to someone else. Well, that's not really the, always the case. And, and here's why. Uh, you know, you think that looking for a job is not very pleasant. Well, also looking for a candidate for the employer is not always the most pleasant thing. You have to go through a bunch of resumes, then go through a bunch of interviews called references. It's a long process. It's an exhausting process. So if the employer, after going through all this long and exhausting process, finally finds their perfect candidate, thank God, after all this hard work, we found John here, and John's the perfect candidate. Well, you know, at that point, you, the employee, have some leverage. You have something that the employer wants, yourself. And the question is, will the employer be willing to lose their perfect candidate just because the, the employee is worried about something like job security? Oftentimes, the answer is no. The employer is not going to want to lose their candidate. So the best way to approach an employer is to be very honest and, and approach them on the basis that I, I'm very excited to, to have this position. I, I think I'm going to be able to hit it out of the park. I'm going to do a great job. I do have a couple of concerns I wanted to raise, and that's when you raise those concerns. Now, you're not going to come back and list a laundry list of things. You're not going to list 25 things because that's going to send the wrong message. But if you list two or three things that you really care about, oftentimes the response is going to be very positive, and oftentimes the employer is not going to want to lose their perfect candidate. And the worst thing that can happen, if you do it the way I've just described, is that the employer is going to say, no, I can't make those changes, but you're not going to lose the job offer. And because of that, there's really no downside to asking. If you approach right. your employer reasonably and, and you don't give them ultimatum, uh, ultimatums, then uh, nothing bad can happen. Either it's going to be a positive result or a neutral one. So you should try it. And I've had many clients over the years that have been very, very, very successful using that approach. So I think you should try it and don't just assume that because something is in the employment agreement, you can't change it. That's often not the case. one 821 Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Frank writes in, says, I worked for a company for just under three months as director of sales, making about 150 k a year. They let me go and said, uh, wasn't a good quote-unquote fit. They said I was on probation. Do they owe me anything? Well, it's an interesting uh, question and one that actually comes up uh, frequently. And a lot of employers and employees assume that there's a, an automatic probationary period. Mm-hmm. So in this case, Frank says that he's worked there for just under three months. So he or his employer may assume, well, Frank was on probation for three months, so we don't have to pay him anything. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Probation has to be a creature of an employment agreement. 
We've been talking about employment agreements. So if Frank's employment agreement says specifically that for the first three months you're on probation and for the first three months we can let you go by paying you nothing, then, then that's fine. That's okay. Then for the first three months he is on probation, unfortunately, and his employer can let him go at that point without paying him anything. But that would have to be in his employment agreement. There's, it's not automatic. So Frank, if your employment agreement does not say exactly what I've just said now, you're owed severance, and in fact, you may be owed a few months' pay, even though you've only worked there for three months. So very important to find that employment agreement. Give me a call. Let me take a look at it, because uh, depending on what it says, you may be owed significant compensation, or potentially may not be owed anything, but we have to see what the agreement says. And by the way, John, another thing to pay attention for in an employment agreement, are there probationary terms that are unfair or, or, or excessive? Very important. In what way? So six months? Can they even do that? Well, oftentimes employers will try to do that, and they will try to create six-month probation or going to be on probation until we tell you otherwise. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, definitely something that is unreasonable. And the other thing to look for for probation, if you're leaving a secure job to accept a new job, why would you ever agree to be on probation, right? <laughs> yeah. So if, I, if you, you've convinced me to leave my company uh, and made me great promises as to why I should join your company and now you're going to put me on probation, that's nonsense. So that should never be the case. Uh, you should have a lot more security if you're leaving a secure job to join another company. Let's talk about termination for cause. We talk about the term and have brought up that term many times in the last uh, three years you and I both have. What is termination for cause? Yeah, you know, and, and so many so many people still get this wrong and so many people confuse cause with an employer or employee doing something wrong. Right, and of those course. those are very, very, very different things. So uh, cause, what is cause and what is a termination for cause? A termination for cause can only happen if an employee is guilty of very significant misconduct, if that misconduct is repeated, and if the company has done everything they could do to fix the problem and rectify the problem, but they couldn't do it. So at some point then, the employer is going to put up its hands and say, what more can we do with this bad employee? We're going to let them go for cause. But you have to be able to establish all those things, bad misconduct, that it was repeated, that you've tried to fix it. It is a very, very high standard, a very high threshold. So the employee may have done something wrong, but the question is, is it bad? Does it rise all the way to the level of cause? Was there prior discipline, etc.? And in most cases, what I see, the employers pull the trigger before they should. Uh, so remember, termination for cause is the ultimate punishment for the worst offenders. It's not enough to show that the employee did something wrong. Uh, if the employee, uh, if the employer only has 99% cause, that's nothing. That's not worth anything. Like I said, being 99% pregnant, you can't be 99% pregnant. You can't have 99% cause. You either have it 100% or you don't. And if you don't have 100% cause, that the law treats it as a termination without cause, which means you have to pay severance. So on the employer's side, just uh, quickly here before we uh, take a quick break, from the employer's side, what do they have to prove? How do they get their case to, to make it termination for cause? Well, usually the employer, first of all, has to prove that the employee, in fact, did do what they're accused of, of doing. So if, if they, they were didn't uh, do their job properly or they're harassing someone, or they uh, use inappropriate language, whatever it is that the employee is accused of doing, the employer has to prove it. So that's number one. The other thing the employer has to prove is, is that there was actually bad misconduct, that it was something that was unacceptable. So if everyone always used profane language in the workplace, you can't penalize someone for using it because you've established that that's not really a bad thing in that workplace. So that's two. Number three, you have to show that there was no other possible remedy other than a termination for cause. 
that you've tried warnings and that's failed, that you've, you've tried training and that's failed. There's nothing you could have done other than terminating for cause. So if you can establish all those three things, that, that the person did it, that it was bad, that there was no other choice, mm-hmm. that's when you can uh, terminate for cause. Uh, and most employers, I find, don't want to work that hard. They don't want to put in the work to build up a case for cause, uh, and they terminate way before they should. one 821 5900 is that number, and Lee or at employmenthour.com. Some more of your emails coming up, and we'll continue our conversation and discussion on termination for cause. This is stuff you've got to know, so stick around. Lots more of it on the way on the Employment Hour on AM640 and AM 900 CHML. The number for the Employment Hour anytime, one 821 5900 and Lee or at com is the email. We're talking about uh, termination for cause. What is it? How do you prove it? Is uh, is the length of employment relevant to determining whether there's cause? Yeah, the length of employment is, is a very big factor. It, as difficult as it always is, John, to terminate for cause, and it's always, always difficult, it's that much more difficult to terminate for cause a long-service employee. If you've been working for a company for a long period of time, it's assumed that you've been able to prove somehow that, that you, you can do the job, that you're a good employee. Otherwise, you wouldn't have lasted 20 years. So you actually are owed much more from your employer, and it's that much more difficult to terminate you for cause. That employer, if you're going to try to let go uh, for cause a long-service employee, you really, really do have to have your ducks in a row. You have to have the prior prior discipline. You have to have uh, witnesses, whatever it is to prove the misconduct. And you have to show that despite the fact that this person has done well for you for 20 years or however long, that you can't continue employing them uh, man, unless the employee is doing something as bad as you know stealing, violence, anything like that, it's almost going to be impossible to terminate for cause a long service employee. How many chances should an employer generally give before they uh, they pull the trigger, as you say? And you know that's a very common question that employers ask me. Uh, you know, so we have an employee, we've, we've spoken to them before, we gave them another chance. Well, how many chances is enough? How when can we just say okay, enough is enough? And that does depend. It depends, first of all, on the length of employment. The longer the person works, the more chances they're they're owed. It depends on the type of misconduct. The worse the misconduct, the less chances an employee should be given. The more minor the misconduct, the more chances they're owed. Generally speaking, as kind of a a guideline, a rule of thumb, I would say three chances. Uh, Three chances the employee gets before you're in a position to consider a termination for cause. Now, as I said, in some situations, they may have to be eight. In some situations, one is enough. But uh, three is a good rule. Usually, if you can show you've done three things or three times this has happened and you've tried to deal with it three times and nothing has improved, now you're in in, uh, cause territory. Now you may be able to think, okay, well, obviously what we've done hasn't worked. What else can we do? Do we have to terminate for cause? Usually, uh, unless you've done those three things, it's probably going to be very premature to terminate for cause. But I, I want to take a step back here, and, I, and I'm not saying that unless you've done three things or unless you've built your case, you can't let someone go. You can always let an employee go, but you'd have to pay them their severance. Yep. When we're talking about cause, we're talking about the distinction between letting someone go without severance, without any compensation, and letting them go with their compensation, with severance. So if you don't, if you have an employee you're not happy with, you're the employer, and you don't want to build up your case, you want the employee gone today. Well, that's fine. You can let the employee go today, but you have to understand that now it's a termination without cause. And as long as you're willing to pay them their full severance, you're fine. You can do that. 
Uh, but if you're, you're not inclined to pay severance, you, you do have to put in the work. You have to build up the case. Uh, and uh, if you don't do that, that's a wrongful dismissal. Do those two roads ever cross paths? Meaning, is there sometimes a situation where you still have to pay severance even if there is cost? Yes, there is. And usually, if the conduct that the employee is accused of is not willful misconduct, okay, so willful misconduct, something that you did on purpose, you still have to pay the person their minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. So not their full severance, just their minimum severance. And I'll give you an example that will put this all into context. So I was contacted, uh, I think it was a year ago now or so, maybe even more, uh, by an employee that worked for a very large retailer here in Ontario uh, as a forklift driver. Uh, And he'd been there for a total of about uh, 12 years. Well, guess what? That person apparently was not a very good forklift driver, and he kept getting into accidents with his forklift and, 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 you know, damaging property, etc. And, you know, and the employer did warn him, and the employer did give him another chance and another another chance, and this guy, I guess, just couldn't drive the the forklift. So uh, the employer eventually did properly terminate him for cause, and and the employer said, we're not going to pay you anything because we have cause. But wait a second. He was a bad forklift driver. He wasn't doing it on purpose. Uh, he wasn't willfully damaging property. What does that mean? That means that even though in this situation there was cause to let him go, he still got his minimum entitlements, which for him, John, was the equivalent of 20 weeks pay. Oh, okay. Now, that's still pretty good. Now, his full entitlements could have been 10 months pay. Right. Uh, he doesn't get that, unfortunately, because if there is cause, but because it wasn't willful misconduct, he gets his minimum entitlement, which is 20 weeks pay. Now, on the other hand, if, if the conduct is willful misconduct, if he was on purpose damaging property, then of course he would not get anything, zero, no severance whatsoever. So that distinction between willful misconduct and misconduct that, that is not willful is very important. Last minute or two, guys, some advice for both employees and employers moving forward for cause. Yeah, for employers, very simple, build up your case, okay? Don't jump the gun. If you have an employee that doesn't do a good job or engages in conduct that you consider to be unacceptable, you have to do something about it. You have to speak with the person, document it, provide a warning, uh, maybe even a suspension. Make sure the person knows that that conduct is unacceptable and could result in a termination of employment. When you have a few of these records, two, three, four of those records, then you may be in a position to consider a termination for cause. So do the work, build your case. For employees, remember, if you were to let go for cause, unless the employer built up its case and you did awful things and you were warned and then you still did it, you probably have been wrongfully dismissed, and, and which means you're owed compensation. If you feel that the employer is building up a case against you, you may want to build up your own case. You may want to have documents, records, materials that show why you didn't do what you were accused of doing. You may want to put your position to the employer in writing as to why you disagree with the warnings that that was given to you. So if the employer is building up its case, you should build your own case. And if you have been let go for cause, you have to give me a call. And that number is 1-855-821-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll go right to an email. Uh, the other side of the break, right here in the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. 1-855-821-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com is the email. We'll wrap up with a couple of these and tell you more about the severance pay calculator. Margaret uh, gets a call on this one, says, I worked for a healthcare facility for 32 years full-time as an independent contractor. Here we go. Uh, I was let go last week. What am I owed? So, John, what do you think? She, do you think she was an independent contractor? Well, we gotta we gotta figure that out first, right? Hope she's listening. Yeah, but let me say this. I mean, obviously, she she gave us very little information here to work with. But 
I cannot imagine any world, any situation whatsoever that after 32 years... <laughs> right, three John, decades. She, yeah, holy cow. Uh, I mean, like back when you were 40. Uh, wow. After th- <laughs> 32 <laughs> years, she's an independent contractor, in all seriousness. So because of that, she probably is very, very likely in the eyes of the law an employee, oh, yeah. which means, of course, she gets severance. Now, it's quite possible that on paper, all this time, she was treated as an independent contractor, that the employer was not withholding taxes, that was, you know, she was invoicing the employer. None of that matters. Uh, remember, John, substance over form. Mm-hmm. If you work for a company consistently over a period of time, regular hours, you're their employee. doesn't matter if you think you're an independent contractor. doesn't matter if you have an incorporated company. You probably are, in the eyes of the law, still an employee. So, Margaret, given 32 years of employment and you probably owe two years' pay, it is so important that you give me a call as soon as possible so we can discuss this and I can get more information from you. Margaret, that number, one 821 5900 Abdul writes in and says, I'm a salesperson that works mainly from the company's offices. I usually work 50 to 60 hours a week. I get paid a salary and never received any overtime. Should the company be paying me overtime? Yeah, and, and the, the short answer, uh, Abdul, yes, uh, the company should absolutely be paying overtime. Now, there is an exemption uh, with respect to uh, overtime as relates to salespeople, but that's only for salespeople that work outside of the office. For, so if you're someone that's on the road all the time visiting clients, that's your job, then you don't get overtime. But if you work uh, out of the office, I don't know, you're on the phone or on the computer, you absolutely get overtime, and overtime is calculated in the same way that it is for other employees, which is it's based on any hours over 44 hours a week. So if you work 50 to 60 hours a week, well, that's anywhere from 6 to 16 hours of overtime that's owed to you. And of course, John, as you know, overtime is also paid to salaried employees, not just hourly employees, if you work more than 44 hours a week. So Abdul, I mean, depending on uh, uh, how long you've worked there and your inclination to pursue this, you may be owed significant compensation Let's have a chat off the air, and I can help you figure out the best way to recover those monies. Abdul didn't put his length of employment here, but, I mean, if he's been there for 25 years, been doing the same thing, is that retroactive, that pay? Unfortunately, it can only go back two years. Ah. And, and that's, that's the, the thing that's always going to be very frustrating. If you've been underpaid for the last 20, uh, there's a limitation period of two years. So if we were to pursue this today, we can only go back two, two, uh, sorry, two years from today. Uh, so that would take us to some point in 2014, uh, and, and that's it. So the previous 18 years, unfortunately, are a loss, uh, that's, which is why, again, you deal with this when the issue comes up, unfortunately, yeah, right. hopefully, rather than when it's too late. We'll get time probably here for one last uh, email or so. Stanley says, the company where I worked for more than seven years presented me with a new contract that changes my compensation and responsibilities. They say that unless I sign within a week, they will consider me as having resigned. What are my rights, and is it right? Yeah, well, first of all, it's wrong, and it's completely yeah. wrong. And, and here's why it's wrong. If you've been offered a new agreement to sign, a new employment agreement, and you decide not to sign it, that is not a resignation. That is not job, job abandonment. If the employer decides that they don't want you to work there anymore because you didn't sign, well, okay, that's a termination. You have to get paid your full severance. And in fact, depending on the agreement that, that uh, Stanley was asked to sign, he may have very good reason not to sign it. If now he's going to make uh, less money and, and work different hours, he's not happy with that, why would he agree to that? No, no way should he. So if, if he doesn't sign it, the employer may either back off and say, okay, we're not going to change the terms of employment. We'll leave you be. 
or they may terminate, but, and then he gets severance. So it's not a resignation. Remember Stanley, remember everyone in that situation. If you're already working for a company and you are offered an employment agreement, usually that's bad news. An employer is not going to ask you to sign an employment agreement while you're already employed in order to improve the terms of your yeah, employment. Yeah, for sure. Right? Usually it's going to be because it's not favorable to you. It's going to be favorable to the employer. And if you don't sign, you decide not to sign because it's not favorable, it's not a resignation. And if the employer wants to let you go, they have to pay you your full severance without any discounts. Would a uh, certain amount of relocation also be under that banner as well? Do you want to move them to a different office? Absolutely. If the employer wants to relocate you, again, depending on the on the distance, if they're going to relocate you from uh, East Mississauga to West Mississauga, well, that may not be uh, enough to do something about it. But if they want to relocate you from Mississauga to Oshawa, for example, then yeah, guess what? That employer is... Uh, it's not, it's not something they're allowed to do. You could treat that as a constructive dismissal. You should not have to accept that. And if the employer does insist and implements that change in any event, you have recourse for constructive dismissal, which will allow you to leave and get your full severance. Got about a minute left here, brother. Want to run through severance pay calculator for everybody one more time. That's right. We talked about termination during the course of this uh, show. Uh, and, and the best way, the quickest, fastest uh, way to find out right now how much you're owed, or maybe you're not, you haven't been let go, but you've always wondered, what would I be owed if the employer let me go? Well, very easy. You go on your computer and you type in severancepaycalculator.com or do that on your smartphone, and you can find out exactly how much you're owed. You input your age, your position, and the length of your employment. Find out, have that information, be armed with it just in case. And if you are let go and that number that the employer has offered you does not coincide with that number that the severance pay calculator shows you, you know you've been wrongfully dismissed. You can give me a call or contact me directly from the calculator, severancepaycalculator.com. Yeah, call Lior for sure. That's it for another week. He's been doing this for nearly 40 years. I know, it's 15. <laughs> Did you say 50? 1-855-821-5900. anytime. And the email, Lior at employmenthour.com. This has been the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.